welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. that Jesus Christ is for you. Somebody needs to let that sink into their spirit tonight. He is for me. In the name of Jesus, we worship you tonight, oh God. Hear me tonight. I believe with all of my heart that there is a word from the Lord. And I I love what we feel here right now. I love what we feel in this place. There's so much freedom. But God wants to do something here tonight through his word. Because his word is going to go forth and not return void. But it's going to accomplish whatsoever he desires in the hearts and lives of us here tonight. Do we believe that? Amen. We're so, so very thankful for Brother Reed to continue with us here tonight. Uh, what a powerful message of restoration this morning. And uh, you guys enjoy that this morning? Amen, amen, amen. And so we're so excited that he's here from Missouri. And I was telling him at dinner the other night, I said, when I was like 13, I heard Brother Reed uh, preach at a at a youth rally, and <clears throat> I said, "Man, I hope I could preach like that guy one day." <laughs> and you guys heard why this morning, right? <laughs> amen, amen. So we're so excited for Brother Reed to be with us. I pray that he has liberty in the Holy Ghost tonight. Amen. If you'll preach with him, why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord and welcome him as Brother Reed comes this, tonight. Why don't you lift those hands one more time. Surely the presence of the Lord is here. Let it not be said that God was moving and we did not recognize it. Jesus, you're welcome here anytime. You're welcome to interrupt this service anytime you need to, God. Lord, we worship you, God. We magnify your name, oh Jesus. We lift you up, oh God. There is no other God like our God. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God is good, amen. I like what I feel here right now. I like what I feel. I feel like I'm in... I'm in the atmosphere I grew up in, in Pentecost. 
I'm just saying that. I'm not saying that other churches aren't like that. I'm, I just, I recognize that familiar spirit of my childhood. When you feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost moving from the moment the music starts, it's so powerful. And I want to say I am so thankful to see the elders in this church still worshiping like it's their first day on the, on the, on the, on the church property. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so, so rich and so deep. And our generation, I'm just saying this, I don't know why I'm saying it, but to our elders, our seasoned saints, thank you. We need to see your worship. We need to see your praise. We need to see your commitment. I know you may not be able to get out and do it like you used to, but just one lap or just one shout or wave of the hands or one spin at the front, it's all we need because there's power in your testimony. There's power in your praise. Tell you what, my generation has missed out on some things. I hope we never forget the power of what brought us to where we're at. It's the power of those old worship services and testimony services and and people just telling what God had done for him. We, we may not understand the ins and the outs of our theolo- theology sometimes, but we know the power of the Holy Ghost. And we can walk in the authority of the power of his name. Let me backstab. I'm not saying we don't know what we believe. But, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible how even in, the, even in the New Testament they marveled that they, they perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men. But, knew, but they knew that they had had an encounter with Jesus. And there was something about their walk they could not deny. They knew they could not explain it. They did not understand it. But they recognized that something was different. Something was powerful. Because they had been with the master. And we've been with the master here tonight. I am so grateful to be with you here. So thankful uh, for what this church represents and for the invitation. Um, And I'm so grateful that Brother Heideball is uh, extending the invitation. Brother Heideball is a wonderful pastor. Brother Heideball is a great friend. And Brother Heideball... Is a wonderful man of God. I'm so glad Brother Bernard is over here too, but I'm teasing. I got on the phone and I told my wife, I was like, can you believe it? After joking and cutting up about everything being permanent on the internet, I get up and say the pastor's name wrong in the opening of my message. So it's like I have to outweigh it tonight. I had one Heideball and two Dillingham. So with a hide ball, I'm just making sure you know that you're a wonderful man. <laughs> oh, man. If you got your Bibles, I would like for you to turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter. And um, I'm going to be preaching another life message tonight, if that's okay. I believe that the most powerful messages that I have heard in my life the things that have had the most impact on me were when I heard ministers get up and just be vulnerable and real and just preach from their life. And uh, I think that that's what we need in this day is we need more, more life messages. So this is a message I've been living for the last decade since I left Cincinnati. And um, 
I am going to just preach my heart again. That's okay. I feel at home. I got my Kentucky basketball socks on that Brother Tyler gave me. So I'm just going to preach like I'm in Kentucky, and we're going to do what we do there and have a move of God. Amen. Chapter number 6 of Matthew, verse number 25. The Bible says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not you much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, which of you by worry, which of you by fret, which of you by confusion, can add one cubit to your stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore they take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now at the time that this scripture was written, at the time that Jesus was saying this, he's basically saying, All these things do the people that are outside the kingdom of God. All the people that are not a part of this exclusive group of God's children. Those are the things that they worry about. But do not I know what you have need before you even ask it? So why worry about the things that I already take care of nature with? My God. But you need to do one thing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you with the help of the Lord this evening I want to talk to you from the simple title trust the process trust the process why don't you lay your Bibles down, lift your hands and into the air, lift your voice unto the Lord right now and say, God, speak to me tonight. Lord, let your word come forth and penetrate my heart. God, allow everything that's on the inside of me that may be a hindrance to you to be removed in your presence, God. Lord, let your will and your way be done here in this house. Let your word go forth and, and do its work, oh God. Bring, bring confidence and bring, bring favor and bring understanding and bring strength and peace to your people, oh God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you can trust the process. A few years ago, I, uh, I was sitting in my office at Urshan College, and a young man entered into the office. Uh, it was the middle of January, or first or second week of January, and uh, this young man came in and proceeded to tell me, why he was there and tell me his story and tell me his testimony. It's a powerful story because this young man 
uh, came from an independent apostolic uh, Hispanic group, and he did not have any connections to our college, knew nothing about our, our school, but he found us on the internet. He found us on the internet, and God began to deal with him and began to lead him and began to pull him and call him to come to our college. And this young man, filled with faith, said, basically, I am going to follow the voice of the Lord. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know where all the finances are going to come from. I don't even know what's going to happen when I get there, but I know that I heard the voice of the Lord, and he called me to St. Louis. And so this young man filled with faith, packed up a suitcase with everything that he owned. And the day before he was, he was set to depart, he didn't even have the money for the plane ticket. He's ready to go. And a phone call comes and somebody says, I, I, I feel led to give you some money. I have a check for you, and, and I want to send you this money, but I also want to give you $1,000 for you to take to that college. What that individual did not know is that this young man trusting God and stepping forward on a process he did not understand needed $1,000 the day that he landed in St. Louis in order to be accepted into the school. He had to put a $1,000 deposit down. And someone calls him and says, I'm not only paying for your way there, but I also feel led to give you $1,000, and I don't even know why. So this young man walks into my office full of faith. He's got a one suitcase that has everything he owns. The, the kid doesn't have a, a, a towel. He doesn't have a bottle of soap. He doesn't have anything that he needs in order to live there. He just has his clothes and his carcass, basically. That's it. But he's heard from the voice of God. And he's standing in my office so we get some things together and get some ladies there in the area, go out and get him some, uh, get him some curtains and get him some, uh, some flip-flops to wear in the disgusting showers that are known as the guys' dorms. Uh, I, I, we, got, we, we took care of him and we got him there and we got him all situated. And so I'm like, wow, God, what, this is incredible. And I remember talking to him in my office and saying, if, if, if anything, I want you to remember that you can trust God in this process. A couple of weeks later, this young man struggling to find a job, doesn't know what's going on, how he's going to get everything taken care of, comes into my office, and he, he, he's, he's broken in his spirit. He's saying, I know I'm here for the right reason. I know, Brother Reed, that, I, that this is what I'm supposed to do, and this is where I'm at, but I'm just having a hard time. And I looked at him, and I said, Nemo, that's his name, Nehemiah, we called him Nemo. I said, Nemo, you can trust the process. You can trust the process. You can trust the process. So we sat there and we prayed and he, he walked out. And about, about an hour later, Brother Tyler, the front office happened to call me. I'm not making this up, I swear. I swear before the Lord this happened. About an hour later, an office, or the office gives me a call. And they say, Brother Reed, um, there is some lady here uh, from the neighborhood, and uh, she says she needs to speak to somebody. And uh, we, we don't know who she needs to speak to, but, uh, you know, you're the dean of students, so you need to handle the situation. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, send her down to my office. And so this little old lady uh, comes down the office, and, and immediately I could tell that she was a Catholic. She had the rosary beads, and, and she had everything on her, and she was, she was very humble in her approach. And she comes up to me, and she says, I pass this campus all the time. 
I drive by here all the time. I've, I live in this neighborhood and I know who you are. But so, for some reason today, something got a hold of me when I drove by this campus and told me that I had to stop. She said, but before I could stop, I felt that I had to go take care of a few things. And, and I went home and I have this mini refrigerator that, that I've never used. It's new. And I got the refrigerator and I put it in the back of my car. And then I drove over to the, to the grocery store and I bought a gift card because there's some reason why I need to bring this here. And she walked in and she said, I, I just want to give it to you so that you can use it for what it's needed for. And then I'm thinking, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then she's walking out of my office and she turns around and she does this little number and she says, and you know who it's for. Okay. <laughs> so I get on my phone and I say, Nemo, get yourself down to this office. I got something for you. You see, God provided in the midst of your lack of understanding, in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your wondering and worry, the voice of God broke into this place and said, you can trust me. I tell you what, that young man was fired up. He was ready to shout and dance. He was amazed at the hand of God that had been displayed in that moment. So I took that story I took that interaction and I wrote this message because not only had I had something in my spirit but now God had confirmed it with a story and a testimony in somebody's life and that's how God works you can feel something in your spirit, but know this, if you're filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, God will confirm his word in your life. God will confirm himself through your story. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's not just in a book. We live it every day, and it's confirmed. Hallelujah. My God, I don't just have to read a story in a book. I can live the very word that I'm studying. His word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a light into my feet. It's a, it's, a, it's a way maker into my path. It's powerful. It's powerful. My God. The Bible tells us uh, all types of stories about the patriarchs of the Old Testament. And as I was developing this thought, I began, I was in an Old Testament study of the book of Genesis, and I started to notice that there was a pattern in Scripture. And maybe, maybe this is just the way I think, and this may not sound profound to you, but to me it just captivated me. And for that, from that point forward, the last couple of years, every time I read a story in the Bible, I look for this pattern. Every time. I remember reading the book of Genesis and I was looking at the story of Adam and Eve and the thing that caught my attention was the fact that the Bible says that God placed Adam in the garden. He, he positioned him exactly where he wanted him to be. That Adam didn't have a decision in the process. Adam was placed where God wanted him to be. And when God placed Adam where he wanted him, he gave him a purpose. You see, the place that God places you will always be connected to his divine purpose in your life. And wherever his purpose is, therewith also will be his provision. 
God placed Adam in the garden and there he said, this is where you belong, this is your purpose, and here's the provision you need to take care of every step that you walk in this life. As I saw that, it may not be that, that mesmerizing to you, but it just was like a light bulb went off in my mind. I read the story of Joseph, and I get to the point where it talks about God giving him a dream. And it just, it, it, it revolutionized my mind because I'm looking at it, and I'm seeing Joseph looking at the power of the Almighty God doing something in his life. And he goes and he tells his brothers, God spoke to me. God directed me. God gave me a dream. But yet the people that were the closest to him didn't necessarily understand didn't necessarily agree and so they tried to destroy the voice of God in his life the Bible tells us they threw him in a pit thinking that that was what was going to stop the purpose of God in his life but what they did not realize was even the pit was a part of the process that God had ordained for Joseph you see the pit Position Joseph exactly where he needed to be for the next place. Oh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it to destroy me, but God. My position will always have purpose when I trust God with the process. The pit couldn't destroy the promise. The pit couldn't destroy the purpose. The pit couldn't destroy the voice of God in his life. Joseph finds himself in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife begins to falsely accuse him and there you find another situation. She thought she could destroy him but even the prison that Potiphar's wife got Joseph sent to could not destroy the promise. The dream was alive. The purpose was alive. The position mattered. And every time the enemy tried to fork the situation, God already said, I'm already two steps ahead of you. I'm already two steps ahead of you. There is a purpose. The position mattered. Joseph finds himself in a prison, but the dream is still alive. And even in the prison, the plan is still at work. And Joseph knows, hey, I can trust this process. Because every step that looks like it's two steps back, God uses to propel me ten steps forward. I can trust the process. I find it amazing that Joseph, towards the end of his life, he recognized something because he tapped in to the promise of the children of God. You see, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter number 15 that Abraham had been told by an assurity that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and shall afflict them for 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. But afterwards, I will bring them out with great substance. Joseph understood, I am living a part of a dream. I am living a part of a purpose. But I'm also living a part of a promise that was given to my forefathers that there will come a day where we will come out of a circumstance we don't understand. 
400 years we're going to be in a land that we don't belong. But there's coming a day where we are coming out. We are just simply passing through. See, Joseph lived in the middle of Egypt. And they developed this process we call embalming. And what's powerful about the book of Genesis chapter number 50 is that Joseph told his children to swear to him in an oath that they would take his body out of Egypt with them. Joseph understood, I'm just a part of a process. I'm just a part of the purpose and promise of God. But there is coming a day where we're going to come out of this. And when we come out, don't forget about me. Don't forget about my bones. Don't forget about my promise. Promise. For hundreds of years, there's a preacher in the inside of a sarcophagus in Egypt reminding the Israelites, we are coming out of this. There is a purpose in the process. There is a purpose. You may think, well, what happens if I pass away and my children aren't saved? What happens if I move on to heaven and nobody has came to the Lord after I prayed all these prayers? Well, just hear this, young man. Your prayers are still alive in the presence of heaven tonight, and there is still purpose. Even the bones of a dead patriarch were carried out of Egypt. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter Number 13, that Moses carried the bones of Joseph across the Red Sea. We don't tell that part of the story in our Sunday school classes. We don't talk about that. But that's a powerful revelation that Moses thought it necessary to go back and say, Hey, I'm not only walking out of this myself, but I'm carrying the promise that other people have lived for hundreds of years. Why? Because they trusted a process, and I trust the same process. Don't tell me that this old-fashioned Pentecostal message doesn't work any longer. There is still power in the name of Jesus. There is still power in the Holy Ghost. The same power that brought my mother into the house of God is going to bring me through this. It's going to bring me out of this. Hey, if it was good enough for G.T. Haywood, if it was good enough for, for William Seymour and all these other men in the early part of the 1900s, it's still good enough for me. It's still good enough for me. Hallelujah. I know I can trust the process. I know I can trust it. And no matter what I face, no matter where I'm positioned, my position does not determine the process and the fulfillment of God's promises in my life. Position matters. But even more important than position, so does purpose. And when you find yourself positioned where God has you, whether that's a job you don't understand, whether that's a broken home situation you don't understand, whether that's a calamity in your life or in a health situation, whatever it is, whatever the, per, pro, or the position of your life right now, I'm here to tell you that God will reveal the purpose in the process. 
And so there needs to become something that rises up on the inside of us that says, God, why do you have me where you have me? God, why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? God, why am I going through this trial? Why am I going through this misunderstanding? Why am I going through this struggle? What is the purpose? Why, why should you ask that? Because there's always a purpose connected to the position. If all you're doing in the position God has you is complain, you're missing out on his purpose. So in the purpose, when it comes revealed, I find the story in Numbers chapter number 13. The Bible says that God, or that Moses sent in the 12 spies. 12 spies go into the land and they, they tour the land to see what's going, the promised land. The same land that Joseph has been, has been preaching about from that sarcophagus, from the inside of that coffin. Those bones have been reminding everybody, you're going to a promised land. You're going to a land of lows with milk and honey. Don't give up on us now. Don't, don't give up. Don't walk away now. There's coming a land. There's coming a day. Even when the fulfillment of that moment came, however, there was still people that didn't understand the purpose of their position. And 12 spies went in and 10 of them came back with a negative report. 10 of them just said, we can't do it, Pastor. There's just no way. It's too big of a circumstance. It's too big of a, of a, of a complex. We're grasshoppers in the eyes of the giants. We can't do this. The same people that had been brought across the Red Sea, the same people that had saw the power and the glory of God descend on Mount Sinai, the same people that had saw the pillar of fire by, by night and the cloud by day, the same people that had, that had been fed manna from heaven are now looking at a situation and saying, well, we, we just can't do that anymore. Why? Because they forgot the purpose in the position. If God led you to this moment, there is a purpose here. They go in. And only two of them come out with a good report. What I find is amazing is who those two men are. Caleb and Joshua. The Bible tells us that Caleb was persistent. And Caleb just kept saying, we've got to take the land. We can do this. The same God that brought us out of Egypt is going to bring us out of this. We can do this. And the Bible says they picked up stones. They were ready to kill him. They didn't want Caleb having to speak all this, this, this hope and faith into the people. Why? Because it required a commitment in the process. One of the powerful stories or images that I remember from this story, the Bible says that the grapes in the, in the land were so big that they had to carry a cluster of grapes on a pole between two men. It's almost as if Caleb and Joshua came out of the promised land and everybody's talking about the grasshoppers. Everybody's talking about why they can't do it and why their insurmountable foe is, is so much greater than them. And Caleb, it's almost as if Caleb and Joshua are, are saying to the people, yeah, but did you see the size of those grapes? Did you see the size of the provision that's in the land that God promised us? Did you see the power? Did you see how big... Yeah, but Caleb, did you see how big the giant was? Yeah, but I can't get my mind off of the grapes. Why? Because Caleb had an understanding that wherever I'm positioned, God will align my purpose. But wherever my purpose is, there will also be his provision. He will always remind me that he will confirm his word in my midst, in my walk, in my daily interaction with other people. It doesn't matter if I can't pay the bills. My father owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. And he's never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. 
Why? Because if you allow him to position you, he will reveal your purpose. And therewith also will be your provision. 2 Kings chapter number 7 tells us a story that I feel is powerful when it comes to the understanding of God's provision. 2 Kings talks about the four lepers outside the gates of Samaria. And the gates of Samaria, the, the entire city had been surrounded in the midst of a battle. They are being starved to death. And here's four lepers sitting on the outside, rejects. They can't go around anybody. They can't interact with anybody. They can't touch anybody. They don't even have their families anymore. And here they are, wounded and, 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 and disgusted with all these sores on their body. And they're dying outside the gates of the city. And they just begin to have a little conversation. And they begin to say, well... You know, if we just sit here, we're going to die. If we go to the enemy, we might die. But what good is just sitting here? You see, the people inside the city were too afraid to move. They were too afraid to engage. They were too afraid to step out and, and allow God to position them in a situation where they could overcome their enemy. And they sat idle, just, just, just sulking in their wounds and letting, well, this is just the way God had planned for it. This is just the life we got to live. This is just the pandemic we're under. This is just what we got to do. And there's four rejects outside the building, outside the, the city. They're just sitting there saying, well, maybe. Well, what, what do we have to lose? If the army won't go towards the enemy, why don't we just go towards them and just surrender? A defeated mindset, even in the midst of calamity, was still enough for somebody to move. And so the Bible says that the four men, they got together and they started, they started walking. And I'm sure it was just a small step, Brother Tyler. It wasn't nothing fancy. It wasn't nothing magical. It wasn't nothing spectacular. But they just took a step. Man, that hurt. Oh, my, my legs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. Okay. All right. Whew. Oh, man, this is a long journey. I don't know if I can make another step. And they're looking at each other. And is this even worth it? And they wrap their arms around each other. One step. But the Bible says that something incredible happened. It says that as each of their feet hit the ground, that God amplified the sound of their steps so that their enemy heard the sound of chariots and armies coming towards them. God did not need everybody. He just needed a few people that understand that, hey, my position right now is not aligned with where I need to be. So I'm going to trust God in this process and take one step. It's a feeble step. It may not make sense. People may laugh at me. People may mock me people may question me but it's my only hope and as they took the step the Bible said the ground that they were on began to shake and when they entered into the enemy's camp the enemy was gone and these beggars sitting on the outskirts of the city went from poor individuals to wealthy, blessed individuals in the midst of the land of their enemy. And they look at the tidings and they say, you know what? This is incredible. This is powerful. But today's a good, today's a good day. Today's a good day. Why are we just sitting here and, and, and enjoying it all for ourselves? We do not well if we don't go share and tell somebody else about it. Let's go pause there. 
Remember those old testimony services? Where people would get up and just say, man... This is what God did for me. This is how God provided for me. This is God how God healed me. This is how God saved my family. This is how God touched my children. We have been blessed so powerfully in this movement and in this local congregation. You have been blessed. You may not feel it sometimes, but you've been blessed. God's hand has been on your life. But you are not going to do well if you do not share the power of your testimony with other people. The Bible says that they had a, a, a unction, if you will, to turn and go tell everybody what they had experienced. We do not well if we do not tell. And so they go and they tell everybody. They say, you're not going to believe what just happened. Our victory came. Oh, was it, a, was it an army? Did, did the king send in the army? Did, did the Amorites come in and help us? Did the Amalekites come? Who was it that helped us? It was just, 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 just us four. What? You, you four? The broken, the wounded, the rejected? Yeah. That's who God uses in the process. That's who God restores in the process. That's who God gives power in the process. Is the people that say, it doesn't matter how broken I am. I trust you. And I trust the process. The year was 2016 and uh, I was finishing my second year at Urshan and uh, my, my daughter, Camille, had had a limp, she was born with a lymphomic malformation. And um, she it began to swell up and, and, and do some damage to the nerves on the side of her face. And we, we took her into the hospital there in St. Louis. And they referred us back to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And so for a period of time, we had to travel back and forth from St. Louis to Cincinnati and uh, we had to get, my, my daughter had to have a surgery that went in. It was a very, uh, very complicated surgery where they go in and they, they have to be careful. They don't touch nerves because it could cause paralysis on that side of the face. And so I'm in the midst of this first, you know, year and a half of, of being involved in ministry there at the college. And, and, and the debt is just beginning to rise. But I'm going to do what I have to do to take care of my family. I'm going to minister to the people of God. But I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm being honest. I was just, I was broken, if you will, in a little bit. And, uh. We keep going back and forth to Cincinnati Children's Hospital, paying the hotels, paying the expenses, paying the fees, putting everything we could on a credit card, maxing it out. Our insurance didn't cover all the deductibles we had to pay for this stuff we were going through. And I remember just becoming so frustrated in the moment. I'm saying, God, I am giving my life to you. I have walked away from my secular career and education to be involved in something I believe in. And what am I going to do? And so in the midst of that circumstance, we moved out of our rental house because we couldn't afford our rent. I'm just being honest. I'm just being, I'm, this, is, this is just me. We moved out of our rental there in St. Louis, and we, uh, we, we moved into a one-bedroom apartment on the Urshan College campus. Um, when I say one-bedroom, I mean it had one bedroom, it had a living room, and it had a kitchen and a closet with a little bathroom. And uh, it wasn't really a, an apartment. It was just a makeshift apartment. And it was right outside the men's dorms. So you can imagine how bad that stunk. <laughs> it's right outside the men's dorms, and I've got four children living in one room apartment. And uh, my faith was shot. I was discouraged. 
And we lived in that apartment for six months, and finally there was no other time. We had to move out. There was, there was some needs for the school to use the, the, the premises, and so we had to move out. And uh, I, I became really frustrated in my faith, Brother Heidebaugh. Just being honest, I became really discouraged. And I made up in my mind that I was going to go rent an apartment for six months and finish out the school year, and I was going to be done. I was going to go call up everybody I knew and say, hey, do you got any churches in your area that need a pastor? Let me come. I'll preach. You know, whatever. I, I got to get out of this. I was just ready to walk away in the moment. And we pack up our apartment. It's Christmas. We're going to go to Omaha, Nebraska, be with my wife's family. And uh, we're pulling out of the city, and the phone rings. My wife's phone. It rings, and it's some number we don't recognize, so I'm thinking, you know, it's good. The second you answer the phone, they're going to be like, we've been trying to reach you for your extended warranty on your car insurance. You know, (laughs) what I thought was going to happen. So I'm just like, just ignore it, you know, and my wife answered it. (laughs) And I hear her on the other end, she's like, yeah, okay, well, let me put you on speaker. There's this lady on the other end, and she's saying, well, uh, I, I, I live in a neighborhood next to somebody that goes to church with you. And they told me that you might be interested in my house. And she said, well, here, my, wife's, my wife tells her, well, we're, we're not in a position to buy a house right now. She goes, no, no, you don't understand. She said, I, I put my house on the market, and I had it sold. And I went ahead and moved. And then the buyers backed out right before the closing, and now I'm stuck with a house in the middle of St. Louis, and I don't want to go through a couple more months of, of not having my house on the market, or having my house on the market and not being able to pay my mortgage and all that kind of stuff. So I was wondering if you might be interested in renting our house. So I'm, no, mm, no. I told my wife, I was like, we couldn't even afford the last house. How are we going to afford this one? I'm like, no, we already made up our mind. We're getting an apartment. We're getting out of here. I'm... I'm the man of God. <laughs> so my wife's like, well, when can we come see it? I'm like, what? What are you doing? So she's like, okay, we'll be over there in an hour. I'm like, we're leaving. So we go to this house. The house is twice the size of the house we were renting previously. It's huge. It's nice. It's been fixed up. And so I'm just sitting here like, I'll just sit in the car. You go in and look at it. Get out of the car, David. She said it a little bit sweeter than that, but it was just, that's what I heard. (laughs) You don't have an option when your wife speaks to you like that. You're like, yes, (laughs) ma'am. So I get out, and my wife, we're walking through the house, and uh, she's looking at everything and just, wow. You know, mind you. She's got four babies living in a one-bedroom apartment on a college campus right outside the guy's dorm. And all of our kids are on the age of seven at this time. And so she's walking around saying, wow, there's three bedrooms. There's a porch, and there's a kitchen, and there's a basement with a playroom, and there's, there's a yard to play in, and there's, there's a new fence in the backyard. And I'm walking around going, who painted this place? <laughs> Do they not know what painter's tape is? How do you get that much paint on the, on the trim? Like, what's going on here? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an attention to detail guy. That's just how I am. And I walked into the bedroom, and I kid you not, I, I, this, this is just it's, it's how God works. So I'm just going to tell it. I walk into the bedroom, and the ceilings are like, 12, like 10 to 12 feet high. 
You know, they're like the vaulted ceilings. And the lady's like, we just painted this room. We just painted the house. And I walk in, and I'm six foot four, so my eye level is not the same as this five foot five lady, if you will. And so I look in, I'm like, yeah, you, I didn't say it out loud, but in my mind, I'm like, you painted part of the wall. <laughs> Because the walls were freshly painted as far as the person could extend their hand. And so there's about seven to eight foot of brand new fresh paint. And then it looks like something happened. <laughs> the top two feet of the wall. And I'm like, I get back in the van and I'm like, did you see the walls? Like, what's going on? What is under the carpet? What's behind the counter? What are we dealing with here? And all I could think of was the negative. I was one of the 10 spies. And my wife's saying, well, David, we didn't search this woman out. We didn't know who she was. We, she's in Pennsylvania calling us in the middle of this situation. You're the preacher. You're the one that's always telling everybody they can trust the process. And now you're not even willing to trust God in the moment. Talk about being convicted. And so we get on the phone. And I'm like, no, we're not, we're not taking it. I'm done. So my wife gets on the phone and she tells the lady, she says, I'm sorry, ma'am, your house is beautiful. We just don't think we can afford it. And so, and mind you, the houses in this area are all renting in the 17 to $1,700 range a month. It's not a cheap, you know, place to rent a, a property. And um, my wife says, no, I'm sorry, we can't. Your house is beautiful. Thank you for showing us. She goes, well, Yolanda, how much can you pay? This is where I set up, and I'm like, exactly how much can we pay? <laughs> I hope she doesn't watch this. <laughs> she goes, would you take $1,000 a month? And the lady said, on the other end of the phone, when can you move in? My wife's like, well, what do you mean? She goes, I'll let you move into my house month to month. No contract. I just want you and your family to share a home. And whenever you need to move out, whenever you need to move on, just tell us and we'll take care of you. So we went from a situation where we couldn't afford rent in the area. We're living in a one-bedroom apartment outside of the men's dorm to paying several hundred dollars less a month than what all the homes in the area were renting for. And it was God's way of reminding me that I can trust the process. If, if he positions you in alignment with your purpose, his provision will always follow. His provision will always be there. It may not look like you want it to look. It may not look like you want your perfect home to be. But when God's hand is in it, it'll all work out. And here, here's the funny thing that happened. When it came time to move from that house, the lady called us. and She said, well, I'm, I'm still living in Pennsylvania. And uh, you guys have lived in the house for a while. And I want to put the house back on the market. But I don't have anybody there that, that can fix the house up. She said, I, I know you probably noticed there's some, there's some issues with the paint. And there's some issues around the house. Would you be willing to fix the house up for me in exchange for a couple of months of free rent? 
So here I am going into the house looking at all the problems with the house, not realizing that God had already organized the problems to be the thing that established me in the process. And God says, the problems are a part of the story. There's coming more to this purpose. So not only do I live in the house, but I fix the house up without paying rent for three months. God's hand is miraculous if we're willing to just trust the process. Trust the process. My God. This happened in, in the spring of 2018. I remember it distinctly because I had this powerful moment with God where he aligned himself and, and established me in that moment. But at the same time, I was ministering to young people there at the college. And there was a young lady by the name of Lubre. If you got the picture that uh, has the two young men and the young lady standing in the middle, you see this young lady here. Her name is Lubre. And she's an incredible young lady. She's a little stick of dynamite. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Um, Probably five foot two. I, I, I don't know. She'd probably kill me if I said that. I mean, she might be five foot. I don't know. She's just, she's a little, little bitty, powerful woman of God. And I remember Lubray was, was, she came in to talk to me there at the college. And she was frustrated about where her life was aligned and, and what she was doing and where she was going. And, and the cir circumstance of her job, the circumstance of the church she was going to there in the area. And she was just, you know, wanted to ask some questions. And she says, hi. I don't know why I'm, I don't, I don't want to work at Dairy Queen. I'm stuck in this job. I'm stuck in this rut. I just, I want to do more with my life. I just, I'm frustrated, Brother Reed. I, and, and so I, I work with her through a few things. We prayed. And I told her, I said, Lubray, I, I don't know why you're there. But God has a purpose for you in that circumstance. I know it just may seem like a meaningless job. It just, you're putting ice cream cones together and you don't understand why you're there. I get it. But God has a purpose. He positioned you for some reason at that Dairy Queen. And so you just need to trust God in the midst of that story. Just trust him. God will reveal himself. This young man here on the, on the right, his name is Darion. Darion got hired at the same Dairy Queen and Darion struck up a, a friendship with Lebray. He started to ask a bunch of questions to Lebray and about why she was dressed the way she was and why she was always happy and why she acted the way she did. And, and he wanted to know more information about her. And, and, he, and he started inquiring about who she was and what this church she was involved in and why she went to this college. And, and she started telling him why. And she, she got connected to one of the guys at the school to come over and talk to him and, and start telling him about God. And they started getting him into a Bible study. And so I'll never forget, it was in October of 2017, actually, that Brother Joel Urshan came to preach a spiritual emphasis week revival on our campus for our students. I, I had a revival in the middle of the semester because that's when they all become heathens. And so I put it right there in the middle of it so they could, they could get the Holy Ghost right in the middle of it so that we could survive the rest of the semester, you know. So... That's my strategy. Um, but so I, <laughs> I had this revival week there. And LeBray called up Darion and said, I want you to come to our springs, our, our, our fall revival. And so what you got to understand about LeBray, she's that 
little pack of dynamite. She's like those church mothers I talked about this morning. That if she sees somebody praying, she'll make a beeline across the auditorium. She'll jump up on a pew and smack her hands on the forehead and just go to town. That's LeBray. Okay? A little, little stick of dynamite. Okay? So Darion's there. He comes to the service. Joel, brother, brother Urshan's preaching. And Darion's sitting right about where this gentleman is right here on the second row. Never been in a Pentecostal service. Never been around our people. Never been around any of this. There he is in the middle of the service. And he kind of sheepishly just raises his hands. Because that's what everybody else is doing. And he closed his eyes. And he starts talking to God. Somebody gets LeBray's attention. She makes a beeline across the front of the, of the stage. She gets over on top of that pew. She grabs Darion's forehead. She's got two heads a-going. And in the moment where he has not even experienced Pentecost other than the last hour of Joel Urchin preaching a sermon, she prays this young man who's working with her at Dairy Queen through to the Holy Ghost. You see, that smile on his face is a smile of a young man filled with the power and the anointing of God. He's not living a life like he was living before, but he's living a life under the Holy Ghost. So Darion's standing there, and the young men around him start talking to him about getting baptized. And so we think, man, this kid's going to come to church on Sunday. We're going to have a powerful move of God. We're going to get all the Urshan students to show up, and we're going to have a wonderful time at the local church, and this is going to be awesome. And so they're talking to him, and he's, yeah, I, yeah, I see it. I, I see I need to get baptized in Jesus' name. I understand why I should do that. Yes, I should, I should get baptized in Jesus' name. I agree with you. And then he looked at him and said, can I do it tonight? Now, here's the thing. We're on a college campus that doesn't have a baptistry. We're on a college campus that's just, it's a ministry training school. We don't, we don't have a baptistry. You think we should, but we, we don't. There's a local church down the street. This service, this is happening at like 11 o'clock at night. And so we're like, absolutely. So I call up Brother Scott Graham, and I said, Brother Graham, I need the keys to the church. Who's got it? Who can I get one to? I meet somebody. I get a key. We meet at the church. All the young people are there. And after, shortly after midnight on that night, we baptized Darion in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. I'll never forget this story because Lubre had been so worried about why she was where she was. Why am I coming to this ministry college and, and I feel called of God, I want to be used of God, and I'm stuck operating the ice cream cone machine at Dairy Queen. That was because God had a position that was aligned with a purpose. That there was going to be a day where Darion was going to need to know who Jesus was. Shortly after, a couple of months later, Right after I moved out of that house where that lady had, had 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 us go live there for a couple of months, we're at our new place. The phone rings. It's one of our RAs in the building, in the dorms. He says, Brother Reed, uh, you got a few moments. Are you, are you sitting down? I said, well, what's up, man? What's, what's going on? 
He said, uh, there's been a car accident. He said, Darion was on his way to visit his family out of state. He was riding with his cousin. And she lost control of the car and she ran into a tree. And, and Darion was instantly killed. He said, Brother Reed, uh, it's pretty devastating around here. The students are pretty heartbroken. I, I think you should know what's going on. And I said, okay. So I call up some of the student leaders. We, we'd carry out what we have to do. I'll never forget walking into that Baptist church in downtown St. Louis. I didn't know that at the time that Darian's uncle was a pastor of a church. Darian had went to his uncle and talked to him about baptism. But his uncle had told him, I'm sorry, son, our baptistry's broke. We'll have to do it once we get fixed. And just a couple days later, Darian walks into a chapel and asks again, is there anybody that would be willing to baptize me? And in the moment, we were able to bury him in Jesus' name. I'll never forget his baptismal. This is, I took him down in the water, Labray. Standing next to me, her little hand comes flying in at the last moment. She puts her hand on his forehead and begins to pray him back through the Holy Ghost because she doesn't want him to just have one experience. She wants to know that he has the same experience again in the baptismal waters in Jesus' name. I'm sitting in that funeral. I didn't know this. But the pastor had gotten a video of Darian's baptism. His uncle, sitting in a church, begins to play the video of us baptizing, Jesus, baptizing Darion in Jesus' name. And here's three to four hundred people of his family and in his community, his high school friends, his, his co-workers, everybody in the middle of a Baptist church and they're being told about the power of the name of Jesus. And so the minister gets up and he begins to compel people to come and get their life right, not knowing, hey, this place is full of Pentecostals. This place is full of Pentecostal apostolics that ain't afraid to pray with people. And so in the middle of his funeral, a couple of his friends stand up and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And we're in the middle of an awkward situation because this isn't our church. This isn't our people. This isn't our community. But in the middle of that circumstance, LeBray doesn't care. And so LeBray, in the middle of Darian's little funeral, gets up and makes a beeline to go back and begin laying hands on his friends. And after Darian's funeral, we baptized five of his friends in the name of Jesus. We took them to a local Pentecostal church and buried them in the name of Jesus. Three of them came up speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Hear me tonight. You can trust the process. You can trust the process. It may not look like you want it to look. You may not understand why you are where you are. You may not understand who God has arranged you to be involved with. But I promise you tonight, hear the word of the Lord. There is a purpose in your process. If you will trust God 
with the position, he will align it with your purpose. And you can guarantee that the promises of God will always align themselves with his provision. Let's all stand as musicians come. I'd like for you to play that video if you could real quick. I want you to see this video we have of Darion getting baptized in Jesus' name. I said earlier that we overcome by the power of the word, but also by the word of our testimony. Left behind in that water. The blood of Jesus is covering every sin in your life. Just a kid working Dairy Queen. Only had six months left to live. We didn't know. But here he comes up with the name of Jesus applied to his life. And there comes that hand of unsurety coming in and saying, God, I thank you for aligning me with your purpose. I thank you for aligning me with your position. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Here's the thing, there's coming a day where we're going to walk into the streets of gold and Darian's going to be waiting there for us saying thank you for trusting the process. Thank you for trusting the process. Thank you. I'm here to tell you there's people in your life right now that God has aligned you with. There's circumstances in your life and in your family that God has already positioned you in. The purpose is there. The provision is there. But you must be willing to trust Him in the process. As I said this morning, don't let your wounds to define you. Don't let your wounds define you and allow you to miss out on the purpose of the process. The process will break you. The process will, 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 will reshape you. It will remold you. But when you go through the process, I promise you, you will come out knowing that the hand of God operated in your life. So I'm here this morning or this evening asking if there's anybody in this auditorium that needs to be reassured of the process that they're living right now, that needs to be reassured of the circumstances they're going through or the family calamity that they're living with right now. If you're one of those people, I invite you right now to find a place in this altar and lift your hands and say, God, I may not know why, I may not know when, I may not know how, but I trust you. I trust you with the process these altars are open you're welcome to come and find a place at the altar and lift your hands right now and I'm asking some of our senior elders those of you that have been through this that know the ups and the downs of the faith I'm asking you to gather in and lay hands on these people and begin to speak the word of faith over their life you can trust the process if you just feel comfortable praying where you're at, go ahead and lift your hands and be sensitive to the presence of the Lord right now. You can trust the process. His position matters. His purpose is there. And His provision will follow. The weapon might be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't 